I want to dive right into our message this morning. So today I'm going to be continuing our series, Freeing Me. How many have enjoyed the series so far? Yeah. Man, it's been really good. Um, today's message is going to be called Freeing Your Finances. So how many could use some freedom in the area of your finances? Um, I, know, I know I've certainly had God work in mine. And so what we're going to share today um, is just some foundational principles from the Word of God that are going to help you in, in this area. Um, so last week, Pastor defined freedom as being free to be who God has called you to be um, and to do what God's called you to do, right? So just like other areas of our life, if we're not free financially, we can't entirely engage in the destiny and the calling and purpose that God has called each of us to be, right, or to do. So uh, I'll talk a little bit about this later, but you, know, you have three pretty defined areas that, that we give from, time, talent, and treasure, right? Um, you can give from any one area, and God will honor that, but God really wants all of you. He doesn't just want your time or just want your talent. He wants your time, your talent, and your treasure. So we're going to dig into that today. Um, here's my disclaimer. When I, when I mention the title of the message or maybe this brief explanation, anytime you talk about money in church, there's this feeling of like the automatic recoil, like, oh my gosh, I should have stayed home, uh, right? I want to take some pressure off of you, okay? Number one, um, we don't minister from judgment or condemnation ever here. And so what I want to submit to you, number one, when you're talking about what I'll be dealing with today, stewardship and generosity, um, this isn't a heaven or hell issue, okay? So I'm not talking about your eternity, but I am talking about God's principles for, for living uh, and stewarding the way that he designed, okay? So what I want you to do for me, if you will, is if you felt that defensive tension or posture, I want you to relax, because I'm not going to be talking from judgment or condemnation or what you should be doing, right? I'm going to be talking about God's plan. And what I want each of you to take away with uh, from today is I just want you to come away with an open posture, and I want you to hear what God's speaking to you. Because how many knows that we're all on different legs of the journey as it relates to our relationship with God, right? Some of us are, are here, some are here. That's one of the things I love about our church. That it doesn't matter where you are. You can start here, and we'll walk with you, right? So do not hear condemnation, shame, guilt, any of that from me today, because that's not what's coming from here. What's coming from here is our desire for you to live your very best life for him. Will you do that for me? Yeah. So everybody relax. Take a deep breath. Let it all out. See all that tension just left the room, just right there. Um, most of you know our family's testimony. We've shared it uh, before, I have, um, about how we did pretty much everything wrong um, for roughly 10 years of our marriage. Elaine and I, uh, she would amen me right here, that we did, uh, we made all the classic mistakes that most, most people make. Um, but over the last eight plus, uh, we began a journey way back there where we decided to give God all of it, and not just the parts that we wanted. But we truly began to, to lean on him and lean into him in the area of our stewardship. And what we've seen is nothing short of miraculous. God's worked miraculously. So I speak today from you from the vantage point of experience. I've lived it and done it the wrong way. I've been in bondage. I've been, um, you know, name any emotion you can insert related to money and your feelings of sh the shortcomings of it. And we've, we've been in the middle of it. 
And so today I'm ministering from a place of hope because there's hope and God has the plan for it. And so that's what we're going to kind of lay out today. Um, There's a direct connection between the life Jesus has for us and the way that we treat money. How we steward money or don't steward it says a lot about our values and can limit what God can do in and through us, right? So did you know in the Bible, 16 of Jesus's 38 parables deal with finances or possessions, right? Um, The only subject he talks more about um, in his ministry, public ministry, is the kingdom of God. Um, He talks more about finances than heaven and hell combined. Um, If you look at the Gospel of Luke, one out of every seven verses of the Gospel of Luke deals with stewardship. If you look at the Gospels as a whole, one out of every 10 verses in all of the Gospels deal with stewardship or finances and how to manage uh, money and possessions. So it seems like it's really important to Jesus, would you say? That was his public ministry. That was what, uh, directly from his mouth, most of those words are in red. Amen? So why is it so important? Is it that Jesus needs your money? No. I mean, I mean, I know I'm like you guys. Sometimes the unsaid things are the things we, we kind of, we never reconcile. But let's think about it for a second. Jesus doesn't really need our money. So what is he after? Let's look at Matthew six nineteen through 21 uh, for the answer. Jesus says, his words, sorry. <clears throat> you got, I've been trying to out-worship you guys and it's been getting to me. All weekend, you guys have been phenomenal. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what's he after? Our heart. Why is our heart and our treasure so closely tied together? It is, right? Um, so if you've ever, maybe you've, you know, been, you've invested some of your income before, uh, maybe you had some money in the stock market, maybe you've uh, bet on a sporting event, maybe you know, pick, pick something that kind of follows in line with that example, where you place your money, right, don't you pay a little closer attention to? So maybe, maybe your investment you know, strategy changed and you started you know, investing in a particular stock, all of a sudden that stock becomes really important to you, doesn't it? Or maybe, you know, you, you had a friendly wager with a, a friend on March Madness or something like that, and all of a sudden you're watching games that you care nothing about, <laughs> right? Um, that's that's kind of what we're alluding to. When you, as a human being, our relationship with money is closely tied to our heart. What God wants is for our heart to be in the kingdom, because if our treasure is in the kingdom, where's our heart going to follow, right? It's going to follow him. If our treasure is outside of him, then it'll, there's a separation there, right? There's a division there. And God is, is, uh, is all about unity in the kingdom, right? Um, he, you know, our salvation, similarly, you know, if you look back, you know, at the foundation of, of the world, God could have just as easily made Adam and Eve robots, right, that loved him and that he, they were pre-wired to give, Right? He could have done that to all of us. If he really just wanted obedience, he could have wired us all up to do those things. 
right? Amen? Why did he not do that? Why did he give us a free will? Because in any relationship, you have, you have to have choice. He wants us to choose him. And just like with our salvation, he wants us to choose him because we love him, not because of duty or obligation, right? It's exactly the same in our finances. He wants us to choose to do it his way financially because he knows that if we do, we're doing it motivated from love and obedience, right? So today we're going to unpack... I've missed a note here I wanted to share with you. So on the subject of, of, uh, of Jesus and God needing our money, um, if, if he really wanted it, if he decided in this moment, hey, you know what, I really want Gary Don's money, okay. he would take it, and there would be a little greasy spot left where he was sitting. <laughs> yeah. Right? Creator of the universe, God of everything, right? the Alpha, the Omega. But that's not what it's about. It's about his, his desire and pursuit of us and our heart. Amen? Amen. So we're going to look at three foundational principles today taken directly from your Bible that we kind of consider the first steps in stewardship, which also, by the way, happen to be exactly how we steward this church. So look no further than your leadership because we handle our affairs this way. Um, so how many of you know that if you spread a lie, tell a myth loud enough, long enough, with enough repetition, sophistication, even an ad budget, that eventually people will start to believe it's true? Do we live in that culture today? Um, I'm not going to fray into politics, but on either side of that equation, you have that effect. If they know that those things aren't true, but we just, if we say them long enough, with enough repetition, eventually like people go, yeah, I believe that. Why do they believe that? Because they want to believe that, right? It's really the same thing in our, in our culture. And so I, I kind of compiled a couple of examples for you to underline this point. So up until about 20, 000, uh, 2015, Subway's foot long was only about 11 inches. We thought it was a foot long, right? But we were wrong. We'd been lied to. And around 2015, apparently, somebody got to missing that inch of their sandwich and sued Subway, and so Subway figured out a way to get that to 12 inches, okay? All right, but marketed as a foot long, really 11 inches, okay? Um, in the 1960s, how many remember Paul Mall cigarettes, okay? There was an ad that came out featuring Santa Claus smoking on a Paul Mall, professing that it cured sore throats, and people believed it. Why? Because they put it out there enough, long enough, strong enough that people started eventually thinking that must be true. No scientific evidence to that fact, but that really wasn't what they were going after at that point, right? Think about Axe body spray and shower gel. They infer that by use of their product, all of a sudden you'll be more attractive to the opposite sex, right? <laughs> now, as an interesting side note, I will say this. I've, I'm around a lot of teenage boys these days. And if they weren't using anything before and they started using Axe, then maybe there is some merit to that conversation, <laughs> right? <laughs> However, you all know as well as I do that just using Axe body spray or shower gel isn't going to change one iota your attractiveness to the opposite sex, right? Um, at least that's my deeply held belief. So. <laughs> so how many would know that truth is not relative? Right? Uh, we live in a culture that's very different from that. We feel like we can kind of create our own truth. Right? 
I want you to participate in a little um, fun illustration real quick. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to count to three. With your eyes closed, I want all of you to point whatever direction you think is north. Okay? Close your eyes. You have to play or I'll call on you. Okay? Count to three. On the count of three, point. You, you can be wrong, but you just can't not play. Okay? Ready? One, two, three, point. Right, look up. <laughs> you know, a lot of you did pretty well. <laughs> now, I saw some of you do this number. Like, <laughs> but according to my compass, north is right through there. Hey, good job. That was pretty good. I'm not going to lie. But if you understand compasses and you understand direction, um, when Pastor Marty started uh, flying early on, I was flying with him some, and so we were, he kind of talked me through some of this. But how many understand, and especially in the aviation world, you can be locked onto a direction, say, true north. If you vary even one degree, then by the time you get to your destination, you can be miles off course. Right? So it's not good enough to be close. It's like horseshoes and hand grenades, right? It's not good enough to be, you know, I'm kind of sort of headed that general direction. We need to be locked on true north, right? What is true north for us? It's our Bible. It's irrefutable, right? It's not relative. We, in our culture, you know, for me, for you guys that didn't hit true north, you know, I would tell you, you're wrong, and in our culture, we don't hear that a lot, do we? We don't like to be wrong. Well, you know, I guess if you were pointing south, eventually you would get there. I mean, it's a long way around, right? But in our culture, we, gotta, we have to know, as the body of Christ, we have to step outside of it, and we got to see truth. It's absolute. Abortion is murder, right? It's not choice. It's, not a, chi- it's a child, right? It's absolute. There's not a gray area. We don't get to choose whether we kill an infant or not, right? We know that. The world thinks very differently, right? Um, Would you agree that it's important to know the truth and to act on it? So there's a, a product today that's been marketed so aggressively and thoroughly that to imagine living without it is inconceivable to most people. It's been anchored and indoctrinated so deeply in our beliefs and culture that we get angry and even fight for this product if it's even suggested that we shouldn't buy it. What is that product? Diet Coke. Coke. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't disagree. (laughs) Talking about debt. Debt is marketed to us so creatively. What's in your wallet, right? Hopefully cash. Maybe not in some cases. Uh, In some cases, we have American distress in our wallet, right? Um, but what we've got to settle in our heart is what debt is and what role it plays in our lives as it relates to stewardship. I had a proud papa moment with my little girl the other day. She's 11, and she's been working on this project in uh, one of our classes. So a couple weeks ago, she came home and said, Dad, I need to know how, uh, what all we spend money uh, on things from our household kind of during the course of a month. And so we kind of made a list and sent it to school. And so she's had a few other questions. The other day, I'm taking them to school and dropping her off. Um, and I'll, I'll take a little side note here to, to show my undying appreciation to my wife. I, hadn't, I appreciated her before, but after doing Daddy and Mommy for the last month, I appreciate her on a whole nother level. <laughs> okay. Um, 
But I was taking care of the school, which normally Elena would do. But, uh, but we're talking in the pickup line or the drop-off line, rather. And she said, Dad, you know, teacher, yesterday we were talking about debit cards and credit cards. And uh, she asked what the difference was. I said, well, what did you tell her? I said, well, a debit card is linked to our bank account where our money is. And a credit card is somebody else's money that if we don't pay it back, we end up paying more. And I was like, that's pretty good for an 11-year-old, right? Um, but if you ask either of our kids, we've had this conversation about what their future spouses should be or what, they, what they're looking for, right? Even at 14 and 11, start these conversations early, right? Um, if you ask them, their top two answers and what they're looking for is, number one, that they love Jesus, and number two, that they don't believe in debt. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and if you think I'm weird, then you probably, like I was roughly 10 years ago, you probably hold to the ideals that we're taught in our society every day, that debt's cool and it's okay, it's necessary. Elaine and I do lots of conversations and even counseling at times with families in our church. And you'd be surprised sometimes that the people that would argue with me about, well, you got to have a car payment. You will have a car payment if you continually take on debt for the car. I mean, that, that is, that's obvious. And in our society, and again, I'm the chief of sinners, guys. I lived this for years. So I'm not hurling condemnation at you. I'm just talking truth. If you live that way, then yes, you always will. But I stand before you without a car payment, and we haven't had one for a couple of years now. It can be done. But you have to be on purpose about it. You have to have a plan, Right? You, get, you have to make a decision. And so what we're going to deal with right now is the first principle that we can use to help a steward and win financially. And it's change the way you think about debt. You need the truth. Debt is not your friend. Amen? I mean, let that sink in for a second. Debt is not our friend. It takes away, right? If you spend like I did at one time especially, every month sitting you know, at your kitchen table trying to figure out which creditor you're going to make mad this month because you can't quite cover this one. And so, I, well, I made them mad last month, so I'll make, you know. If you've been there before, I have, um, you have to reconcile. Do I want to continue this pattern or do I want to make a change? You got to change the way you think about debt. Remember, the kingdom of God runs exactly opposite of the world. So if the world says it's great, then you probably have a pretty good indication that you should be doing the opposite, right? Um, that's a pretty good rule of thumb to live by. You can't and you won't find anywhere in Scripture, anywhere, where God uses debt to bless his people. It's, you can look, but it's not there. You won't even find a place where he says a positive thing about it. So you're not going to find a place in Scripture where you know, Moses and the children of Israel were in the valley. They were surrounded by the Amalekites. And so he took a vote on a bond issue. <laughs> hey, that was, that was better than your response. Come on. <laughs> right? There's not a place in Scripture where God endorses or teaches us to use debt. Quite the opposite. There's a handful of Scriptures. I don't have time to dig into it too deep, but I wanted to give you a few Scriptures just for reference to give you God's position on debt. Romans 13.8 says, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. Ecclesiastes 5.5 5 says, It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent surely lead to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. How many know some hasty people? 
How many have been a hasty people? <laughs> okay. I'm in the right room. Right. You guys are my therapy group. Um, Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent surely lead to abundance, but everyone who is hasty... Oh, sorry, I just read that. I just wanted to underline again. That was a retweet. So, um, Deuteronomy 15.6, for the Lord your God will bless you as he's promised you, and you will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow, and you will rule over many nations, but they will not rule over you. So I told you that we practice what we preach here at Pathway. So what if I told you that in the going on eight years of this church's existence, we've never had debt? Ever. Would you believe me? I guess you kind of have to at this point, but, right? So when the church started, we were planted by a church plant organization called the ARC. And they offered an interest-free loan, which they do for most all the church plants to help you get going. Um, Pastor Marty and Julie... Uh, refuse that, uh, mostly because of the idea that we didn't want to sow the church in debt. We wanted to sow it in faith in God. And that is a hard place to stand, especially in their shoes at the time, because that meant they weren't, that could have helped with some salary money. It could have helped with a lot of things ministri- you know, administratively we need, ministry-wise we need to get going. But we chose from day one to kind of draw a line in the sand and say, you know what, if this is God's, it'll live, and if it's not, it'll die. There's some churches that need to die, right? And I don't say that in mean-spirited. I'm just saying if they're having to fund themselves continually with debt, then you need to revisit what it is you're about, you know, and what, what the impact of what you're doing is having. We are just crazy enough to believe that if God is, gonna, is in this thing, he's going to underwrite it. And he's done it over and over and over again. We, we know it. It's in, it's in our DNA now. Um, if you look at when we uh, moved from the Ramada to here, I think you've heard us talk about it before, we had 20,000 or so in hand. If you saw what this building looked like when we first uh, took ownership of it or first started leasing it, then you would understand that it was a train wreck. Um, there was nappy, ugly flooring, and there was some puce coloring, and there was these gaudy columns, and the bathrooms were a disaster, and um, it was going to take a lot. And in that discussion, we talked about, well, you know, we could take out a small note to do some of these things. And ultimately, we came back to you know, day one's you know, kind of proclamation of, you know what, we're just going to trust God. So we made a list of everything we needed, and we prayed over that. And within a month, I believe, through you guys, through our people, God provided $130,000 to do everything that we needed and more. That's how God's system works, by the way. He gives through his people to accomplish his work, right? Then, fast forward to last year, we needed $400,000 to buy our future home out on 259. So we put that need in front of you guys and we, we pray. And in three weeks, you guys come up with $834,000 to pay cash for that land and put roughly half a million away for the future building. That through you. I have never seen that, okay? I've been in church my whole life. I still don't understand that. But it is a part of our DNA. 
It's a part of our culture. So why, in this moment, would we suddenly, because we've had people talking about this with us already, well, you know, you can do this note, you can do this and, and all this, and if you got to this percentage, you know, et cetera, um, why at this stage in the game do you think we would suddenly change our, our viewpoint? Because it's, it's just money to God, yep. right? Just because the amount has changed doesn't mean that his principles are less valid, Right? Whether it's 800,000 or it's 5 million, he's got it. And guess what? He wants to give it through you. Amen. I'd rather participate in his system, right? Our church is phenomenally blessed. Guys, we've never had need for anything. Every time we have had a need, God has met us. So our faith is strong. We know, again, if God wants this church to grow, which so far he has, and if he wants us to, to build and to grow in another location, guess what he's going to keep doing? He's going to keep giving through his people to accomplish his will, right? Um, so we're not, well, the way we feel about this conversation is if we suddenly decide, hey, we got it from here, God. You've done real well up to this point, but we're going to give you some time off. Then we circumvent his system then in our view, we feel like we take it out of your hands because he wants to bless through you. And if we suddenly decide, well, we're going to accomplish this through debt, then we've taken, we've taken God's ability to bless through his kids out of the equation. And we're not willing to do that. Amen? Amen. Is that good preaching? Yeah. I think it is. <laughs> I'd be excited if I was a member of this church and just saying. So... We also, we know that God wants to continue to provide for this church through you, but we've got to prove to be a good steward, right? That's where it comes back to. Uh, we have to steward well what we have. And we're not talking about what you will have. What is in your hands right now? How well are we doing, right? That's what the conversation is about today. So when you rely on debt, you can't rely on him. Do you understand that? Like your faith can only be in one place or the other. It can't be in both. Um, a good preacher one time said, if you create a plan B, God will always let you use it. That was Pastor Marty. I borrowed that. If I say it two more times, I can say that. I, I say it, right? Okay. I say it all the time. Um, we have to change the way we think about debt. So Proverbs 22, 7 says, the rich rule over the poor, the borrower is slave to the lender. How many have felt like slaves before or have felt like that or feel like that now? I've certainly been there. Um, debt limits us. You can be the most generous soul in the world, but if you're bound in debt, you don't have the ability to look to give outside yourself, right? It's kind of like um, if you're, I don't know if you've ever driven on the turnpikes before, but I was on Indian Nation Turnpike early in my career heading to Kansas, and I got distracted and I passed the gas station that I needed to stop at. How many know you don't just whip around on the turnpike, <laughs> right? Um, I knew that the next gas station was probably 40, 50 miles away. And I was on E. So that entire trip, I was praying in the Holy Spirit, and I was looking at my gas gauge. And how many know that I really couldn't see or think about anything else, right? That's really a lot like how it is for us when we kind of live day by day in our finances. We want to do more. We want to be able to look up and see and, and interact with the world around us. But we can't because we're so fixated on the E. We can't look up. Because we're afraid if we look up for one second, we'll be out of gas, right? That's a picture of what I want you to see. Financially, we want you to live with margin. Because margin creates space. It allows that stress gland 
our anxiety gland to relax in us and allows us now to start seeing outside of ourselves and identifying other people that may need, right? Because if we're, if we're paying attention, God sends us opportunities all the time. The problem is we don't always recognize them. I've been that guy. I mean, believe you me, I've been in that spot where I wanted so badly to be able to give to a need that I heard about, I just didn't have it. Mostly because I had every payment known to man <laughs> that I had to make every month, right? What happened with Lana is that as we gradually began to work out of that and God began to, to help us dig out of debt and he expedited it, because the math said we sh- it should have taken us 15 years minimum. We, we got out in roughly seven, which is a significant number. But God redeemed us to a point where then it gave us the ability that when we did see needs, hey, all of a sudden we can, we can sow, we can give. And then guess what? He gave us a little bit more. Then guess what? We proved good stewards with that, so he gave us a little bit more. And so we, the, the trend continues. And we're not done yet. We're still figuring it out. We haven't arrived. We still got a lot to learn. But you got to start somewhere, right? You have to lay a stake in the ground and go, you know what? Debt's not my friend. I'm going to start today making a way out with God, right? And he'll work with you. When, you. when you make that decision, it allows him entry into your life in an area he hasn't been able to work in. And keep in mind, this isn't an angry God picture we're talking about, like he's so upset that you won't let him work here. He's patiently waiting for you. He's a loving father. He wants to help, but he's not going to subvert your will, right? As soon as you allow him that entry point, he steps in and he starts working. And God's system doesn't work like the world system. It doesn't. God's system goes against logic. You know why? Because it's supernatural. You step into his economy. It's not A minus B equals C. He can bless. He opens up windows of heaven, right? You've heard all the scriptures. Um, In the, the subject of debt, God gives us an attitude we should have about it. And it's found in Proverbs 6, 1 through 5. It says, my son, if you put up security for your neighbor, if you've shaken hands and pledged for a stranger, you've been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, to free yourself since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands. Go to the point of exhaustion. Give your neighbor no rest. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Verse 5, free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. What's God saying there? He said, free yourself twice. He's not saying free yourself by yourself. But what he is saying is if you look at this context, he's telling you how, the attitude, the posture. Go to the point of exhaustion. Give your neighbor no rest. Allow no sleep to your eyes. No slumber to your eyelids. Like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter. How many have ever seen that picture we see it in FPU all the time, but you have, you've got the leopard and you've got the gazelle, right? Never ends well, usually if it's on National Geographic, <laughs> right? But in that, in that example that's used here in Scripture, the gazelle, their motive is to live, right? The leopard, his motive is lunch. The gazelle usually wins. Why is that? Motivation, <laughs> okay? Leopard's the fastest animal on, on, the, on the ground, Right? We've got to have an attitude and a posture, number one, that debt is a lie, and we've got to free ourselves, which means we've got to make a conscious decision and put some action with it to run the other way, right? When you do that, God has an entry point to step in with you and help you navigate that field ahead, amen? But we've got to wake up. It says, allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. 
By the way, we counsel quite a, a lot of people here on this subject. And when you talk about debt, usually when we're talking about debt versus tithing, giving, et cetera, the assumption is always, uh, at least I've gotten this multiple times, is, okay, Pastor Mark, I see what you're saying. So let me work really hard to get us out of debt. And then when I get us out of debt, I'll start tithing and giving. And <laughs> doesn't work that way. All right, but it's simple math, Pastor Mark. If I already don't have enough, and you're asking me to give, how am I ever going to get out of debt? You know the answer? God. Because his economy doesn't work on the economy of the world. Right? I, I've seen it too much, guys. I've lived it. I've watched him work. I've watched him help us out of all kinds of situations, financially and otherwise. We've seen people in this church walk through things where God exponentially blessed them through seasons in their lives when they got this right. So you'll never convince me that it doesn't work because I've seen it too much, right? But in God's economy, when you give first in faith like he did, he gave Jesus first, right? He didn't know the, the, the weight of the world or the population of the world. He knew that other people reject him, but he gave anyway, right? He gave him faith first, right? Same with our finances. We give him faith, and finances is so much smaller of a deal, let's be honest, right? If we give first, guess what? 90% blessed will always go immensely further than 100% not. And you may say, well, God's not going to you know, curse my finances. No, he's not. But when you don't redeem it, it lives under the curse, right? It, it's not him cursing it. He wants to redeem it, but you got to give it to him. And it's the first 10%. It's not if we get done paying bills at the end of the month and if there happens to be enough left, we'll give that. That's not how it works either, right? Um, anytime you talk about tithing, you just feel like this little tension that kind of, right? Because the reality is 2 to 3% of evangelical Christians tithe. Does that surprise you? This church is tremendously more generous than that, I can tell you that, because I work in that realm in my everyday work with the church. This is the most generous church I've ever been a part of, ever, ever, okay? You guys are crazy generous people, right? But some of us still have some work to do, right? We, we need to take some next steps. And so tithing and giving comes first. Stewardship comes first. It's a matter of the heart. So principle number two, change the way you think about giving. This is going to go a little faster, but I, but I want to kind of give you an illustration here. You have to develop a generous heart. So how many remember word problems when you were in grade school? So uh, maybe you'd have one like, you know, Mark has $1,000. He gives Abel $100. How much money does Mark have left? $900, right? Problem is early on we get math in our head and we start seeing everything in this very linear kind of structure and we equate giving with having less, right? All of a sudden... Well, if I give that, I won't have it anymore. Now, in that very moment, that is true. But what you can't see is what happens on the other side of that moment. Because once you put that in, if that's a, a tithing you know, question, or maybe it's just a need, someone that you see around you that needs a hand up, you know, they need some help. You're sewing into the, the little lady that's a widow that lives next door to you, or you know, whatever the situation may be. When you put it in God's system, it changes everything. How many have lived this and no, I'm speaking the truth? Like, I mean, honestly, a lot of hands in here. It's the truth, guys. But it's, it's a matter of faith. 
right? We have to put our faith and trust in him first. We can't wait to see if it pans out, right? We got to trust him first. God is generous. I mentioned he gave his son first in faith. A lot of people sometimes don't understand the significance of that, though. They think that, well, God's this kind of theological, mystical being, and it wasn't a big deal for him. Let me tell you, God loves with a capacity that you or I can't understand. His son meant more to him than any of our earthly children could possibly mean to us, and I know how I feel about my kids, right? It was the hardest thing he ever had to do, send Jesus to the cross. But he was willing to do it for us. If he was willing to send his son to the cross for us, then I'd challenge that we should be willing to do anything and everything that he asks us to do to live for him, right? To submit our lives to him. And that includes this so petty of a thing called our finances. Guys, on the scale of eternity, we live forever. There isn't a scale. Our life on earth is like that. What we do here matters, right? But we've got to do it God's way. And if you haven't done it his way before, do not sit there in condemnation, guys. Forget about it. God lives in tomorrow, okay? He's here today. He's there ahead of you tomorrow, right? Forget about what you didn't do. I've, I've had regret too. I've, I've had the thoughts, man, if I'd have started this 10 years ago or if I'd have done this 20 years ago or whatever, you can't live there. You know who lives in the past? The enemy. And guess what he does? He tells you all about it all the time, all right? Shut him off. We start today. Right? Amen. Deuteronomy 15:7 illustrates a really key principle I want to, to give you. If there's among you a poor man of your brethren with any, within any of the gates in your land which the Lord your God's giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need. Whatever he needs, beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart saying the seventh year, the year of release is at hand. Now, a side note here, if you're not aware, in this era, they had something called the year of Jubilee. So every seven years, all debt was forgiven. How many would like to revisit that era? <laughs> what if I told you you could? In God's system, it works differently. Now, in our natural world that we live in now, that's not the case. But I can tell you that the journey my wife and I took should have taken roughly 15 years, but somehow it only took about seven. Um, I would submit to you that when you, when you do it God's way, there is a year of jubilee for you, right? We got to do it his way, though, right? Verse 10, you shall surely give to him and your heart should not be grieved when you give because of this thing the Lord God will bless you in all of your works and in all to which you put your hand. So you hear in that scripture, in that passage, verse 7, it talks about don't harden your heart or shut your hand. So how many knows this is, this is an international symbol, right? If you do this, what are you saying? I'm angry, right? I'm greedy. If you do this in a lot of places, you better be ready to swing it, Right? Everybody knows what that means. But here, where's the problem with a closed fist? I can't get anything into it, and I can't get anything out of it, right? God wants us to live. He talks here in verse 8, but you shall open your hand wide. He didn't say just open it a little, right? He said, like, as wide as you, and I'm not as flexible as my wife. Her fingers go way back, so she can be more generous than me, but... Um, <laughs> 
as wide as you can have them, the, the kingdom works this way. God puts money in the open hand and you give from the open hand. If at any point there's a clenched fist on either side, guess what happens? It stops up the flow, right? We, we want to lit the attitude of our heart needs to be a fully opened hand. Open your hands wide, all right? Um, generosity is a heart issue. A closed hand is a result of a hardened heart. We want our hearts to be soft and malleable and open to what God's speaking to us. That's why I asked you today just to hear him. If you hear nothing, I say, hear what the Holy Spirit's speaking to you through some of what we're sharing today. We need to develop a generous heart. Um, tithing, you know, when you, when you talk about this subject in church, you know, I grew up in a culture that was, it felt very judgmental all the time, to be honest with you. I felt shamed a lot on this subject, shamed into giving even. How many have ever been to that church? All right. Most of us probably have, if you live in the Bible Belt or have been here for any length of time. Um, the important thing about this revelation is that it comes from your heart because it matters what your motive is. If your motive is to do it just out of duty or obligation, that's, you shouldn't do it, honestly. You want the motive to be from a place of obedience and love to the Father. You want it to come from a place of um, of freedom, right? Um, Jesus only directed us specifically in Scripture to give one way. If you look at Matthew 23, 23 through 24, this is where he's talking to the scribes and Pharisees, some of his favorite people. <laughs> he said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. What he's saying is, you tithe all the way down to the spice rack, which you should have done, but you ignore these other things. So what is he saying there? You should tithe. That's Jesus' words. I have people ask me about that in Scripture. That's the Scripture that Jesus indicates that we should. Right? And, if, and if there's no other reason in Scripture or other place in Scripture when our Savior says that we should do something, I think we should consider it, right? Again, we're not all there today, and I recognize that fact, but what I'm asking you to do is pray about it. Ask God what he's got for you, where you're at in the journey. Because one of the things I love about our church is it doesn't matter where you are. We're gonna walk with you at whatever leg the journey you're in, and we'll, work, we'll, we'll help you, we'll provide you resources, we'll pray with you, right? Let us come alongside you there. So we got to change the way we think about debt. We got to change the way we think about giving and generosity. And finally, we got to steward like it's all God's. Why? Because it's all God's. <laughs> right? Um, we see stewardship as taking care of money like it's ours. Right? God sees stewardship as of taking care of it as it's if it's His. Psalm 24.1 helps us answer this question a little bit. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. So if we belong to him, everything that we have belongs to him, right? If you're like my pop, and I think Pastor Marty's stated this before, but he's, he had this saying he liked to say quite often, um, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the hills and all the taters underneath, right? <laughs> 
He owns it all. And I've had people argue with me, well, I work and I make my money. It's mine. Let's think about that. You were bought with a price, right? If you're God's kid, he purchased you. He purchased your salvation. This scripture kind of gives us the indication. The earth is the Lord's, everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. Anything that you have is his. Any ability that you have is his. The ability to gain wealth is from him. And you can argue it till you're blue in the face, and you'll be wrong, wrong, wrong <laughs> all day long, okay? It's all his. It either is or it isn't, right? There's no middle ground. I love this illustration. I've, I've used it before, but I wanted to underline it today. The King James Version of the Bible was commissioned in 1604, okay? During, this is during the medieval era. So think Braveheart. That's the era that this happened in. Ironically, you know, his famous phrase, freedom. You know, we're talking about freedom today. But during this era, you would have the lord of the realm or the lord of the castle. And this guy would be over, uh, he would reign over usually a two to three county area. He would always appoint a steward. And the steward would represent the lord. The steward didn't own anything. Everything that he was given came from the lord. But he was responsible for executing and carrying out the Lord's wishes and executing business and transact it from the Lord of the realm's direction. Sound familiar? He managed the castle, the realm's finances. He ran the general household administration. He organized large events. He organized the workforce. Um, when the Lords left the castle, they left the stewards in charge. Now, what's interesting to note here is as the steward would prove himself worthy, and trustworthy, the Lord of the realm would give him more responsibility. If the steward proved to be untrustworthy or unreliable, usually that steward would be pulled back in and sometimes relegated back into the ranks of the servants. Okay? What we want to be is stewards, right? We all, in the lifetime, like I've heard this statistic before, and I did the math on it to make sure it's true, but in our lives as Americans, okay, we are going to, at some point in our households, over the course of our lives, we're going to have roughly 3 to $10 million pass through our hands. Does that number surprise you a little bit? Check the math. It's probably more than that in most cases. But we're going to have 3 to five, $10 million pass through our hands. What are we doing with it? It's up to us to steward it well, right? Again, if you haven't before, don't sweat it. I'm not, you're not accountable for that today. What we're talking about is the decisions that you make from today forward. Amen? Do you know that God has trust issues? Think about that for a second. Right? He wants to trust us in this area, but he's not going to do it until we show that we can be trustworthy. Why does he do that? Because he's mad at us? Nope. Matter of fact, it's the exact opposite. He loves you. So he only gives you what you can handle. When you prove that you can handle that well, he gives you more. How many have seen these examples in Hollywood or lottery winners that all of a sudden are influxed with all this money that they have never had before? What's generally the outcome? Devastation, right? We got examples all over TV we could point to. That's because they don't know how to handle it. If God had given me some abundance back in the days, you know, early in Elena's marriage, I would have made a train wreck out of it because I didn't know how to handle it. God knew that. He's a good father, 
right? When you prove that you can handle it, he, watch, he walks with you. He observes, just like the parables in the Bible. If you do well with it, he gives you more. It always kind of tripped me out in the Bible how the guy who had the most, you know, God would take from the one who was the poor steward and give it to the guy with the most. I was like, why doesn't he give it to you know, the other guy? That's not fair. God knows that's the better steward, right? Where does it go? It goes to the better steward, right? So we want to be good stewards. Amen? Amen. God blesses stewardship. And Luke 16.10 kind of underlines that whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Dishonest literally means unrighteous or not God's way. We want to do it God's way, amen? The way you win financially is by realizing whose money it is and treating it like it's all his because it is all his, right? As we close, guys, I want uh, to just kind of underline the fact that if our finances aren't free, we're not free. We may want to be, but we're not, we're not completely free. We have to change the way we think about debt, change the way we think about giving. We've got to steward it like it's all God's because it really is. You may say, Pastor Mark, I don't even know where to start. I didn't either at one time. I prayed and I asked God to help me. And I made a lot of ugly mistakes. It wasn't pretty. But ultimately, as I began to be sincere and listen to what he was telling me, Elaine and I started making some hard decisions. The first one, after I've, I've taught you know, before and shared with you about the jog that I took where God spoke to me. God spoke to me on that you know, jog to cut up our credit cards. Guys, at that time for us, that was the scariest of propositions because we lived in part on those things. And so we already didn't have enough. So taking away the credit cards was like, okay, well, now what? Where's the money going to come from? I can't tell you where it came from. To this day, we made the decision. We prayed about it through some tears. We cut them up. We started living without debt. We haven't had a credit card since then. Um, going on nine years, we've not had a credit card. Um, our, our kids have never known parents that have used credit, right? Um, you got to be a little weird. <laughs> you know, got to be willing to be a little weird that way. But it's a, it's a decision you got to make. And so there's a lot of next steps you can take. We're going to have FPU life groups that are going to start up this next semester, right? Um, we're going to have, uh, you could do what I did. I read the Total Money Makeover was one of my, the first things I did when God started kind of rewiring my brain around this subject. Um, there's financial counseling. That, you know, you can stop using debt. That's a good first step. It's a hard step, I admit, if you were used to doing that like we were. Um, but maybe like these 45 other families this year that have given here for the very first time, maybe your next step is giving. We understand the significance of that. So that's not lost on us. When people trust a church and begin giving at the church, we know that's a big deal, right? Because we've been a part of some crazy churches that didn't steward well all kinds of messed up stuff, right? We steward well. We manage your resources that you put in our hands very, very well. We work very hard to make sure they get exactly to the places that they're supposed to and that it's maximizing ministry impact. 
we, and we regularly give, I mean, every month we give to uh, missions efforts, and we're here in a month or so, Pastor Mari's going to be headed to Honduras to speak to some pastors in Honduras, the ministry school that he and Julie founded. Um, there's a, a ministry here in town that we, we give money to that helps um, coach and live and work with young ladies to, to move them away from abortion. Um, if you give here, you're a part of that. I asked one of our missionaries this week to send me some numbers to share with you. How many of you know Danny and Peggy Thornton? Love them. If you know them, you love them. <clears throat> I asked him, I said, hey, could you send me a few numbers to share with our people this weekend? He sent me a spreadsheet. Like, <laughs> that's the kind of guy he is if you know him. But you guys, ten, ten, we take, we, from day one, we've taken 10% of everything that comes through our doors is immediately put into outreach, and we find ways to sow that into the kingdom. And so if you've given the pathway, you have direct ownership in this today. All right, I want to share these with you. So he does conferences in places like El Salvador, Ecuador, Philippines, Mexico, Colombia, Peru. Last year, they did nine conferences. They discipled 2,821 students made up of, comprised of churches that were a part of it, of more than 265 churches. And they saw last year in 2016, 9,470 souls come to Christ. If you gave, if you gave here, you get a share in that. When you get to heaven, you're going to have people come up to you that you don't even know and never have met. And they're going to look at you and say, thank you. How does that work? I don't know. I don't. I know it's true. Because God's kingdom set up that way. Danny also sent me numbers for this year. And this is just in three months, really two, two months of crusades. They've had 1,358 students discipled, and they've had 6,665 people come to Jesus just this year. <laughs> Guys, this is why it's important, right? This is why giving matters, why this little sliver of life that we have to live here, that's why it matters. So if our ministry team will come down, I'm going to close this out in prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for your word that is absolute, that is irrefutable, and that is our true north. And I pray today, Father, that as I've ministered, that the seed that we planted would take root and grow. I pray for boldness to come upon your people today, for them to make decisions, to make new decisions in their life. They're going to yield eternal impact. I just pray your blessing on them that as they come, and as we leave today, that you'd be with them, that your blessings would overtake them, that you would enlarge their territory, that you give them everything that they need to serve you with all their heart, body, soul, and mind. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.